I would regularly make, with some other friends, a 17-ish hour drive straight through from here to Florida. We were always straight through people. We never like, we never stopped anywhere along the way. I mean, we stopped for bathroom breaks and whatever. And if we had certain people in the vehicle with us, it was more often than other times. But we would go straight through from here to Florida and back. So about four times a year, beginning and end of each semester, I would make this trip. Most of the time it was through the night. Most of the time there was no one on the road. So it was easy to, easy to travel that way. But my car, which was a beautiful car, it was a 79 Bonneville. It was my first car. It was awesome. It was great. But by the time I was in college, it was old and wasn't always in the best shape. So remember one time I drove home from Florida with, my, with virtually no power brakes. So I used the emergency brake to stop and brake because it was Christmas and I had to get home for Christmas break. You know what I mean? I couldn't stop to get brakes fixed. I mean, what are you crazy? I gotta get out of here. One time traveling home for Christmas break, the, the heater core of my car wasn't working. So there was no heat in my car. So we drove home with coats and gloves and hats and you know, our breath showing and all that stuff. We drove home the 17, 18 hours through the night uh, with no heat. And, and what I remember specifically is when I got to the Baltimore, the I-95 tunnel through Baltimore under the harbor, right? So you come out the tunnel on the other side. We've been driving, I don't know, 15, 16 hours at that point. And I thought in my haze of I haven't slept all night, my windshield is dirty and I need to clean it. So remember, I pulled up to the toll booth and I gave them my toll and I pressed the button on the windshield wash and I started out of the toll booth. And the windshield sprayed and the wiper started going and it froze the whole windshield instantly. I literally could not see a thing. And I'm driving, I'm, I was advancing, you know, because the, the wipers helpfully spread it evenly across the entire windshield. There was nowhere I could see. And I'm, I'm accelerating out of this with all these cars. And that's just mayhem when you come out of a toll booth, right? With all these cars and I can't see a thing. And it's just stunning for a moment. And, and I remember uh, I pull, eventually I put the window down and stuck my head out and like got over to the side of the road to let the, the windshield fall out and, and, free, and clear up. But I could not see the road. Nothing changed about a road. I know that road well. I've driven it many, many times. I've come out of that toll booth many times. But I couldn't see it because of what was in front of me close. It was a much smaller thing. And, and because of that smaller thing, my windshield it was, was very small in comparison to the road or the truck that was trying to drive into me. Or, you know, I mean, like it was very small in comparison. But because of it, it made what was normally a pretty safe move very, very dangerous. My ability to see was blocked by something relatively small. But it made a huge, huge difference in what I could do. And I thought of that story, and I thought about how something relatively small can stop you from seeing what's really big. And as I talk today about this, I think this is a place where, where we as people, we as Christians, and we as a church, in facing our times, it's become a real thing that we miss what's really big for what's really small. I think our church and the church 
has probably not stepped into the opportunity that these times have given us the way that we wish we would or the way that we could have done. And I think it's because we got our windshields frozen over and we just couldn't see the big stuff for the small stuff. One of the reasons I'm doing this series is because I think we need to be reminded of stuff that we all believe is the big stuff, but we can't see it because our windshield got frozen over. So let me just give you some of the big stuff. Here's one thing that just was on my heart this week. This is really a huge truth that we believe, but we lose sight of when we go through stuff like this. People aren't a problem. People have problems. Like the people in your life that you're like, oh, I wish I could. They actually aren't a problem for your life. The reason that you feel like that is because they have problems. And their problems that they don't know what to do with, that they're lost in, that they're crushed under, and you know that feeling, are spilling over to you. And instead of me going back at them or pushing them away or cutting them off, maybe as a person of faith, as a child of God, the light should go on in my head that say, people aren't problems, people have problems, and I know the one who is the answer. Like, that's what I'm talking about. Where did that go? The person that we worshipped just now, the person that we sing about, has answers for my life and for this world. Remember, every face that you see has a story, has a journey, has a collection of joys and sorrows and pains and victories. And Jesus died for all of them. He loved them so much that he died for them. And I think we lose sight of that with all the stuff that flies around us in our world with people who come at us, with situations that are imposed on us, with opinions that are flying all around, we lose sight of the big thing for the small thing. Here's another big thing. We have the living God as the source for hope in our lives. There's nothing bigger than that. And guess what? We don't go meet Him somewhere. We don't go search and find Him. He lives in us. That is a powerful truth. We lose sight of it because our windshield gets blurry or blocked through fear, distrust, worry, disagreements, the influence of culture, especially those in the culture who have decided that combative language and caustic labels help people listen to them. So we get sucked into that flow and we stop living in the reality that the Spirit is alive in us and he's there to in help us learn and to help us know what to do and where to go. He's there to move us in the way that is right, in the way that is good. And so one place I want to clear our windshield today is in the conversations we have. So if you think that our culture is good on conversations, the converse, conversations we're having are, are good and perfectly fine, you can totally tune out. If you think that your family and your marriage and your parenting communications and conversations are like good to go, then so be it. Take, you know, find a, a, a coloring book that you can call it. Like. <laughs> but I want to consider today the fact that having God's Spirit Himself living in us should have an impact on the conversations we're a part of. 
This is kind of, this is my point, right? And this is my theory. Let me see if I can prove it to you or if you'll agree with me. Because the Spirit of God lives in us, because He comes with me into any conversation I have, in any forum, in any way, with any person, because the Spirit of the living God is in me, that when I go into a conversation, my impact on any conversation should, at a minimum, improve the conversation. I want to see if we can maybe figure out how to do that. So we're going to look at some scripture today, starting in James 1, that teach us about godly interaction and conversation. And I want to look at three ideas. I want to look at understanding. I want to look at fingerprints. And then I want to look at transformation. And then we're going to uh, observe communion together. First thing I want to look at is understanding. In James, which most people believe is the first book written in the New Testament, this is written by the the pastor of the first church in Jerusalem who also happened to be Jesus' brother. And so James writes this letter, a pastoral letter, and one topic that he touches on is communication in verse 19 and 20. And here's what he says. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. First, notice that this is to everyone. My dear brothers and sisters, this is not to men, this is not to women, this is to, and then he says everyone should be. This is to all of us. This suggests that having better conversations is a challenge to all of our flesh, to every single person. For some of us, this is the place we need to land this morning. This is the place we need to ask God to work on in us. The other stuff we're going to talk about is going to have to wait. Because when we have a conversation, what James says to us is we should be quick to listen and slow to speak. Where is that? Maybe a better question, what is that? Maybe we assume that it's, I just should never tell anybody what I think. It's not that. It suggests that there is a better way for conversation to be structured, for us to enter into conversation, and unsurprisingly, it goes hand in hand with the idea that this is not all about me. That if I want conversation to go well, I cannot be self-centered in it. What he says is, quick to listen and slow to speak. It is a heart that values understanding in conversation. Now, you're like, of course I value understanding. I want everyone to understand me. That's why I get so mad when they don't understand me. If they would just turn on their brains for a minute and think, oh, now I'm sounding a little bit like some of the stuff that's flying around, isn't it? Come on, sheep, wake up. Oh, that's helpful, right? Because what I wanted to be is called a sheep and told that I'm asleep. That's what I needed, right? Understanding. We value being understood, but do we actually value understanding others when we talk to them? Because that's what this is. Quick to listen, slow to speak. The Spirit in us teaches us that it is proper and good to understand the other before we pursue being understood. So if you're having an argument with someone 
Somewhere along the way this week, the Spirit's going to like tap on your soul and be like, hey, you're really kind of getting riled up here because you don't feel understood. Have you tried to understand them? Have you tried to make them feel like you hear them and you understand them? Listen to those who you disagree with until you can understand both what they believe and why they believe it. And it's not because they're dumb and it's not because they're blind because that goes nowhere. You've got to listen so that you can understand what they believe and why they believe it. Enough so that you can explain it to them and they go, yeah, that's what I think. That's what I'm saying. Not that you always have to tell them. I'm just saying understanding is that. Much of the devolving of conversation in our culture is a demand to be heard with far too willing to do the listening and the work of understanding. And I would even say in your relationships and especially in marriage, a lot of the tension comes from, let me, let, let me tell you what I think. But let me, and I will keep pushing until I feel like you've heard me. And they'll keep pushing until they feel like I've heard them. But nobody goes first and says, well, let me listen. Let me understand. Notice, it does not mean that we agree. I'm not saying we should just be wishy-washy and let anybody say anything and do anything. But I cannot just shout down someone's opinion and bring what I want in their life. The big thing of what do I want in their life? I want them to know Jesus, right? Have you ever shouted anyone into the kingdom? Berated them, belittled them, insulted them into the kingdom? But have you ever spent time with someone and listened to their pain and their hurt and their sorrow and their grief and cried with them and hurt with them and said, man, I'm so sorry for that, but guess what I know? I know there's someone who cares even more than I do and he can bring healing to your soul. This is the path the Spirit teaches us, but we're so busy following the path the world gives us that we don't remember how we're supposed to have a conversation. We can't truly disagree with someone until we actually understand them. Have you ever disagreed with somebody and found out at the end of it you didn't disagree? You're just like, no, you're wrong. And they're like, no, you're wrong. And then when you dig it all down, it's like, well, we think the same thing. And then you're like, well, I'm not ready to be done being mad yet. We set our hearts in a posture that naturally lets others express their thoughts and their opinions without needing to be the right voice, the loudest voice, the, the, the most dominant voice. How do, why would I say that? Because he doesn't just say quick to listen, slow to speak. He says slow to anger. And the word anger there refers to the frustration that boils over, the anger that comes from not getting what we're trying to get, from not accomplishing what we're trying to accomplish. And because it's connected to communication, you can understand what he's saying there is that the normal tendency is when I think I, you don't agree with me, that I'm just going to steamroll you by turning up the volume by shooting you with more facts until I've beaten you into submission. Slow to become angry. And James is careful to say, verse 20, human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Believers, we're on a mission for God. We're on a mission to to produce what God desires. And our anger and our frustration and our sense of strength and power is not going to accomplish it. 
So what you're going to wind up doing is you're going to wind up thinking that everybody around you is just against you and just doesn't know what they're talking about and you just need to be like constantly militant and marching around and, and punching people in the face with truth and wonder why nothing is happening that's actually worthwhile, that moves your soul. And it's because we haven't paid attention to the Spirit. So much of what the church has gotten tangled up in has the earmarks of make sure you hear me and if you don't, my anger will help you hear me. But James specifically says that is not how we are to approach conversation. We are to approach with a value on understanding first. Quick to listen, slow to speak. How can the Spirit of the living God in us help us to become people who converse, to understand, who bring a, a heart for understanding into conversation and therefore improve the conversation? Second thing, I want to go back to Galatians chapter 5 because I want to talk about the fingerprints of what it looks like for a, a conversation with someone who is submitted and surrendered and led by the Spirit of the living God in them. What does that feel like? What does it look like? What are the, the marks of it that are only from the Spirit? And so I go, my mind goes to Galatians chapter 5 to the fruit of the Spirit, which says this, verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, Forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. These are the earmarks of a spirit-powered person. Are they the earmarks of the conversations that the church has been having with the world? More specifically, the conversations you have been having with people who disagree with you. It's quite simple to ask ourselves, are we being kind? Are we being gentle? Do we have self-control? Are we effectively communicating love? How would we do that? Joy. Are we communicating joy? I don't know how much joy I've seen in believers as we've gone through this whole season. Peace. If you wonder why I say maybe we've missed some opportunities during these times, I think it's because we haven't had the fingerprints of the Spirit in the way that we've held conversations. And if you think I'm overstating this, Paul says it again in, in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 2. This is a little bit starker. Uh, it says this, Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another, in love. Are we humble and gentle? Is that what people on the other end of our conversation experience from us? Are we patient? Can we bear with one another in love? Not just bear with one another like the grit your teeth bear with one another, like, okay, fine. Bear with one another in love because we love them, because Jesus loves them. There is absolutely a calling for us to share truth. But I'm telling you, we make it devoid of all power when we don't do it like this. By the way, when it says humility, be completely humble, it requires that we be honest with ourselves about how much we actually know. 
There is an absolute desert of this reality in the conversations the church is trying to have and believers are trying to have about issues that are going on in our world today. We all act like we actually know something because we did some computer searches or because someone on the radio or TV or someone wrote a thing and we, we borrow their expertise. It isn't ours. And we become fully convinced that we know the whole story or we know enough to point at everybody else and tell them what they should do and what they should think. Be completely humble. How much do you know Really? I pray the Lord would show us. Yeah, but Mark, what if they're wrong? What if they're just wrong? What if they, they're really wrong? Then you, then you should just let them have it, <laughs> clearly. Actually, in Galatians, uh, after chapter 5, it starts chapter 6, and it talks about people who are wrong. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you will also may be tempted. Even if they're wrong, this applies? Yes, because humility still plays a part. And our goal is not to be right. Our goal is not for everybody to hear what we have to say and go, you know what, you're right. I know that's our ego's goal, that's our flesh's goal, but our actual goal is restoration, redemption. Salvation, right? Where did we lose that along the way? We lost it because we forgot who we are. I'm telling you, this is how we act and interact because we believe and because we have confidence that our God is in control and we are forever secure in His care. We believe that, right? We can do this because we believe that the truth is the truth, whether someone believes it or not. It is its own best argument. It doesn't need my logic. It doesn't need my impatience. It doesn't need my anger. It doesn't need my strength. It's still the truth. So I can just serve in kindness and love. I think what I'm trying to ask here is for us to be people who say, God, what needs to change in me? So that the fingerprints that I leave on any conversation look like the work of the Spirit and not the work of Mark. What needs to change in me? And the good news is, that's what God does to people. He changes us. Last verse I want to look at before we take communion together. Romans chapter 12 and verse 2, it says this. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind then you will be able to test and approve what god's will is his good pleasing and perfect will we are people of transformation when we allow the spirit of god when we allow the 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 savior of our lives to come in and take over and when we react to that we are different transformationally different than the world But Romans, as Paul writes this, puts a choice before believers and it makes it very clear that we can choose either. We can choose to be conformed to the world or we can choose to be transformed. Which one are you being? It is normal to react to the noise, especially the loud and persistent noise around us. But what it does is it winds up making us follow people we shouldn't follow. In their example, in their tone, in their methodology... We are called 
to transformation. By renewing our mind, not to mold ourselves after their way of thinking, after their way of problem solving, even their way of problem identifying. We don't fall into that trap. Instead, we stand on solid ground. And I know, if you think about it, solid ground has been in short supply in so many of our lives. But the solid ground is where it always has been. We serve the living God. He lives in me. He will power me and instruct me and guide me if I will let him. The big stuff. The big stuff. What we actually need to communicate. What we actually need to communicate with our world and with one another is that we know the God they are looking for. Even if they didn't realize that they were chasing him, we know the one that they are looking for in all their pursuits, in all their attempts, in all of their chasing, in all of their right. We know him. And we've experienced the transformation that he brings by faith. But we don't show that and we don't share that when we live like we're lost. We show that and we shine that when we live like God has saved us and rescued us. How does God want to transform you and the way that you've been interacting with people? I'm going to leave those three questions with us as we move to participate in how the Lord made it possible for us to be transformed. So I'm going to invite you to take a spot around the room here today for communion. So the first thing is going to be these cups. Again, take one if you want to participate. If you'd like to just observe, just pass them by without taking one. That'll be our very clear symbol that you're just going to observe this day. Whenever they meet up, wherever they meet up, just put them down on the chairs and we'll come get them after the service is over. Today, what we're doing as we do this is we're remembering how this is all possible in our lives. And we're looking at an example that we get to follow. The example of our Savior. So we have two symbols today that you'll participate with. The bread and the juice. Jesus on the night he was betrayed took bread. And he broke it. And said, this is my body broken for you. As they come around to serve today, you're going to have to rip off a piece. And when you do that, I want you to be mindful of the feel of ripping that bread, my body broken for you. The cup, as the, the, the servers pour the juice, this is my blood poured out for you. Be mindful of that feel. This is my blood poured out for you. And why? Jesus said this, John 5.24, Verily, very truly I tell you, Whoever hears my word and believes in him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. This is the transformation we've been given through what we celebrate right now, from death to life. He laid down everything for redemption. That's how much it means to him. For some of us, 
It's a struggle to lay down my need to be right. When he laid down everything, I think we can lay down all of that stuff, can't we? We can step into the transformation that this purchased for our souls. And so as you hold these elements and as they are served to you, I pray that these things will be worked in your mind through the power of the Spirit, that God will bring about the conviction, the challenge, and the change that he has for us this day. Gentlemen. And the night Jesus was betrayed, he took bread, he took the cup. He said, this is my body broken for you. This is my blood poured out for you. Whenever you eat this bread or drink this cup, do it in remembrance of me, in remembrance of him. Let's pray together and close our service. Father, this morning, we thank you for this love on display, these elements that represent 
a sacrifice beyond imagination so that we could be rescued and redeemed. This love that you have for us, you've put in our hearts, this passion to see the big purpose of our lives here. Help us to see it. Help us to respond. Help us to live in the power of your Spirit, in the work of your Spirit. Today we open ourselves up as we have received these elements. We want to receive that work that he wants to do in our lives today and this week and in the coming days. I pray, Father, that you would accomplish what you want in us as we look to you and put our trust in you. For we ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. 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 Thanks, everybody.